Hello and welcome to episode 406 of the Veg Grower Podcast. My name's Richard and I'm trying to grow all my fruit, vegetables and herbs in my allotment and garden. Now coming up today, it's that time of year when blight starts rearing its ugly head. But blight isn't the only one, so I thought I'd go through four fungal diseases that I most commonly come across. That's coming up in a little bit. Let's just find out what I've been up to over this last week. It is Saturday the 16th of July 2021 today. I'm at home. It's late in the evening. It's been a hot one today. It's been a hot all week. I have been down the allotment in the evenings just to do a little bit of work and try and get on top of everything. So it hasn't been a complete waste of a, a week. But... Uh, Today, yeah, I didn't do as much as I wanted. Like I said, it's been a very hot one today. And when it gets hot like this, I have a... Well, I don't function very well in the heat anyway. I much prefer it cold. But I have this sort of rule that if it gets too hot, you know, the worst thing I can do is try and push myself. I've had heat strike before. It's not worth it. So what I tend to do is work either in the morning or work in the evening if I'm going to do anything. And even then, I try and keep it to a minimum. The garden will still be here next week. It's not the end of the world when it cools down, just a case of working with it. So we went out today, and in the evening I came home and went straight out to the garden. Gave everything a really good watering. I always prefer to do my watering at night anyway. I believe it's better for the plants so that they get a good drink overnight that the plant can then take up before it evaporates during the day. My little French beans, this is a variety, I forget what variety it's called actually, it's produced quite a few beans and I've been harvesting those. Very, very small beans, nothing to really sing home about, but um, yeah, we harvested those. We've got quite a few carrots and parsnips which are showing themselves and also growing very, very well. I've got to say, I'm finding that the stuff I've grown at home seems to be doing better than what I have grown at the allotment. Now, I put this down to plenty of compost and less weeds. Um, But yeah, carrots and parsnips, I picked a few of those. Peas, we're getting a really good amount of peas starting to produce. Harvested a few of those. Still plenty more to come, but um, for now I'm happy with what we've got. Now after I've done the weeding, the watering and harvesting, I've then potted up some of my basil that I planted a few weeks ago. I quite like basil and this is a red variety and it looks like we've got plenty of it. So they were planted or sown into some nice pots and it looks like they're going to grow quite well. So I've just put those into some bigger pots ready so that we can start using them and starting putting them into use. Well, that's what I've been up to today. Like I say, not much because of the heat. And tomorrow's going to be just as hot. So the plan is to go down the allotment first thing. It is Sunday the 18th of July 2021. It's just gone past midday and it is another scorcher of day. Now, fortunately, I managed to get down here quite early today and I basically started off just by giving everything a really, really good water. 
A lot of the plants I've watered during the week when I've been down, but they were looking a bit thirsty after the heat that we had yesterday. I didn't get down here yesterday, obviously, so uh, today they obviously needed a really, really good watering. Now, the exception being in the greenhouse where I have my wicking beds set up. Now, these wicking beds basically have a water reservoir underneath them, and they seem to have worked really, really well at avoiding the loss of moisture. Now, this is really interesting, I think, because I think as a greenhouse go, grows, or somewhere where I can't water that often and can get quite hot, these wicking beds seem like a really, really good option for making my life easier. And I'm glad I've put these in this year. I think I will certainly be doing more next year and carrying on with this. Now after the watering I set about doing a bit of weeding. Now I have been down during the week but because of the rain we have had and the warmth weeds do seem to grow like mad. So I'm trying to keep on top of it. It's not easy. It's not easy at all but I certainly do find little and often is working really quite well. But another thing I've noticed that is working really quite well has been the use of mulches. Now Grass clippings are working okay. They, they suppress the water, they suppress the weeds slightly, still get a few weeds. But what is better is where I've used a sheet mulch. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, on the top half of the allotment and under some trees, I have used two different types of mulch. The first being the woven black plastic, which I've laid down. And on top of that, I've put pots with my squash plants in. That is working really, really well at suppressing weeds. Only really get weeds in between the gaps, which is just where I have to keep on top of it and trying to keep overlapping them and weighing them down. It seems like the plant that's trying to grow underneath the woven fabric is finding its way out in the gaps and pushing its way through. So I've just got to keep on top of that. But what is really, really surprising, well, not so much surprising, but what is really, really working is the cardboard. Now, you may well know that I've spoken earlier in this year about laying three layers of thick cardboard down, which I've done around my pear tree and a few other trees. And I've also done that on the top half of the plot in an area where I have planted in some tomatoes. Well, these two areas, again, the cardboard hasn't deteriorated. It's been down a couple of months now. The cardboard hasn't deteriorated. The weeds aren't growing through it. They're being suppressed. And it's working. It's working. So <laughs> I'm finding all these methods are working well together in order to try and reduce the amount of weeds. So what that means is that I think I'm going to have to carry on at trying to hoard as much cardboard as I possibly can, lay the cardboard down when the beds are empty, lay compost on top and maybe even do another layer of cardboard and grow through that in places if I feel that is going to be the best option. It's only until this cooch grass will stop attacking because what I found now this is where I come on to my next stage of what I've been doing today the onions as you know I grew some overwintering onions which were harvested a few weeks ago and are now back at home and we're eating them well in a couple of beds I planted out some spring sown sets now these beds actually got really full of weeds 
and I've actually harvested all these onions today while trying to clean out the weeds. The weeds were so bad that I just ended up lifting them all up and clearing it out and starting again. The bulbs themselves are not that big. I mean, they're usable, they're good, but they're certainly not anything to sing home about. However, at home, I have got some slightly unfair this but I've got some onions that I've grown from seed and again these were sown in the spring they are doing pretty well they're growing big they're looking really good they haven't started to die back yet so they're still in place so we're we're leaving them till they go for a little bit longer and this got me thinking what's the difference what is the difference? Okay, seeds and sets, that might be the slight different, but generally speaking, I find I have less luck with seeds than I do with sets, but not the case at home. The difference being is there's less weeds at home growing in between or just attacking these onions. So Lala's led me to the conclusion that in order to grow really good onions, I've got to keep on top of the weeds, which means I've really got to suppress the weeds as much as I possibly can in order to grow good onions. And I'm sure there's other crops that will do just as well with less weeds. Now, finally, I went about harvesting. So I harvested a few broad beans, a few raspberries, which were coming in really nicely, a few cherries, which I've been harvesting through the week, but my cherries are starting to not look so good. They they haven't quite got as ripe as they should, but they've started to go a bit mouldy. I think it might have been a bit too um, too damp for them with the rain that we've had lately. But I've also harvested some potatoes. I dug those up and boy, are they beautiful looking potatoes. I think this year has been a really good year for potatoes. So that is what I've been up to today on the allotment. It's been a lovely day, very hot now, so I'm going to head on home and cool down. It is Monday the 19th of July 2021. I'm just in the greenhouse at home today. I popped to the allotment quickly after work just to check on everything and do a bit of watering, but I um, came back home and I've just popped into the greenhouse. Now, I've got to say, my greenhouse at home pretty much doesn't need much work for myself. Reason being, I've set up an automatic solar-powered watering system in here, which, I've got to say, on a whole, has watered all my plants and kept things going pretty well. I've got some tomatoes in here, cucumbers, aubergines, uh, strawberries in pots, and because of this watering system, like I say, I don't actually find I need to come in here all that much anymore. It, it tends to look after itself and come in and check on things when it's a cooler. And all the plants are here growing really tall. The tomato plants are about five foot tall now. They've got some nice trusses of fruit. Looks like we're going to be getting some tomatoes quite soon. Now I came in here today because all I've got is I need to feed a lot of these plants. The only thing this watering system doesn't do, I probably could adapt it to do it, but the only thing it doesn't do is feed all the plants. So I'm using my worm wee to feed my plants and I've just added about 200 mils to a 10 litre can of uh, water. 
and that into a watering can this is and I'm just going to go around all these plants and start filling them or start basically feeding them and trying to get down on the ground where they really do need it now on that note my peach tree in here now this is a, a, a plant that produces white peaches I've accidentally left it in here the whole season which is very unusual for me normally I like to move it outside but I've just tended to leave it in here by accident and I think it is starting to get a little bit too hot in here for it the leaves are looking a little bit pale um, and like they're starting to turn so I, that's one reasons why I wanted to feed this I think if I give it a good feed and move it outside it should be okay but I'm a bit worried about moving it just yet because we've got some beautiful peaches produced on this tree and they're not quite ripe yet but they are getting there and these are a white peach which are very 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 nice I'm looking forward to eating them but they're just not quite ripe enough yet to eat them but that's a that's the joy peaches are one of my favorite fruits especially when they just come in right at the first of a season uh, they just sound so tasty about peaches that that taste of summer i guess and peaches i think a lot of people do struggle with peaches main reason being that horrible peach leaf curl which i've spoken about many times before and that's why this uh peach tree ends up being moved into the greenhouse over winter because I found it helps avoid peach leaf curl. Usually I'll move it out in about May but I didn't do it that this year because the weather just didn't seem quite right in order to start moving it. Now my cucumber in here is producing cucumbers as well and it's nice and big and uh, I'm looking forward to eating those cucumbers at some point. In fact I might harvest one for our sandwiches for tomorrow at work. Right that is all the plants in this greenhouse now fed and watered. I'm going to wrap up the diary section for this week so please do let me know what you've been up to in your own allotment and garden and um let me know what you've noticed or any changes that are afoot. Now I'm going to run one of my commercial breaks and then I will meet you back in my podding shed. I would just like to ask you if you are enjoying this podcast and perhaps you might consider signing up to the Supporters Club. It costs just £5 a month and for that you get access to exclusive behind-the-scenes content including two extra podcasts each week only for supporting members. Added to that, each month you will receive a gift pack containing a newsletter and at least six packets of seeds that can be sown that very month. By becoming a supporting member, your monthly contribution helps me keep this podcast moving forward and grow. It also helps me encourage and teach more people how to grow their own food, something I passionately believe everybody can do. To become a member, head to thevegroundpodcast.co.uk. Well, yes, it's that time of year when fungal problems can start to hit our plants. Now, I say this time of year because I've looked back over past episodes, past podcasts, and I noticed at this time of year is when I usually start talking about potato blight. But blight isn't the only fungal problem we can experience. So in this episode, I thought I would just share with you what to look for and what you can do to tackle any 
fungal problems that you might encounter on your vegetable plants. Now, fungal diseases are probably one of the most common type of diseases affecting vegetable plants. So it's most likely you will come across it at some point. Some fungi infections are actually a good thing. Mycorrhizal fungi, for one, infect the roots of plants and forms a symbiotic relationship. However, some fungi is destructive and can devastate a crop very, very quickly. And these are the fungi we really want to try and stop. Blight is probably one of the most well-known fungi diseases that we can get. It was, of course, the cause of the Irish potato famine, if you know your history. Blight thrives in warm, wet weather and may affect potatoes and tomatoes. And it tends to start with these dark spots on the leaves and the plants, which can then grow and cause the plants to wilt and rot. It is a really horrible disease. And I've actually known a few gardeners who, over the weekend, have started to see signs that they are starting to get blight. So keep an eye out just in case you can see this for the next few weeks. I also know many allotmenteers who have just given up trying to grow outdoor tomatoes or outdoor potatoes because blight always affects them. And every year I pretty much know I will get blight at some point. So when does this happen? Well, there's a certain point when blight becomes activated and that's based on the temperature slash humidity. And I, well... To keep an eye on this, what I did was I actually signed up to a website called blightwatch.co.uk and they monitor the temperature and the humidity in my area and they predict when I'm likely to get blight spores affecting my plants. And then they go and email me when blight might happen. It's actually a very useful tool. Highly recommend you go and check that out because it really is useful for giving you a bit of a heads up. But of course... If you're going to get blight, you're going to get blight. And in order to try and prevent this, I always try to grow blight-resistant varieties as well as some other varieties. Now, my blight-resistant varieties might be the Crimson Crushed Tomatoes or the Sarpo Myra Potatoes. Always make sure I've got some of those amongst my other potatoes and my other tomatoes. Just that way I can make sure I get a crop because the blight may not affect those. It's not completely foolproof, it just may not affect those particular varieties. I always rotate my crops and that tends to stop blight building up in the soil. It is found in the soil at any point in the year. It just takes the right humidity, the right temperature for it to kick in. Also try to allow ventilation between my plants. Easier said than done, I know, but uh, that does help keep the humidity lower and therefore prevent it from happening. And when it comes to watering my plants, I water the earth around the plants and make sure no water hits the leaves. But then, as I say, it will happen. Rain will come along and it will hit and therefore my plants have got blight now what i try and do is inspect my plants when i get these warnings and what i'm looking for is some little black blotches and if i see the blotches i try to remove the affection straight away this could be just snapping off leaves or snapping off branches if i can if it's the main stem it's not so easy but you can cut it back and try and do the best that can slow down the infection and it might buy you enough time for your tomatoes or your potatoes to ripen but really it's just delaying the inevitable there 
is no effective sprays for blight that we can use as amateur gardeners anymore. We used to be able to use a Bordeaux mixture, which is like a copper mixture, and that was rumoured to work very, very well. Again, I never really used it because I've never liked using any chemicals on my garden at all. But that used to work very, very well, apparently, but it has been banned. That tells you why I probably opted not to use it. So that's Blight. Now my next one that I get quite often, and I mentioned this actually in the diary, is Peach Leaf Curl. Now Peach Leaf Curl is a fungal disease that affects peaches, almonds, nectarines. And it starts off with the, the green leaves turning this sort of pink blotching and they start to curl up and distort and then they fall off. And I've actually lost an entire peach tree because of Peach Leaf Curl. It is... Again, it is pretty nasty. It's not easy to try and avoid peach leaf curls. Sometimes when they're older and the tree is big, they can weather it out. But most of us have small trees. And particularly when we're starting off with a a new tree, it's going to be small. So this is where I've developed a way of avoiding it from happening. What I tend to do is I keep my peach tree in a pot. November that pot goes back in to the greenhouse and it stay there until May, yeah, mid-May usually it will come out. It didn't do it this year. I left it in the greenhouse for a lot longer. It's still in there now. And that is purely because we had these late frosts and late rain. Now, I mentioned rain because peach leaf curl is actually formed when rain lands on the leaves and it causes the infection. And it happens during that November to May time, but it won't show itself until June, July, August time. And that's when you start to see the leaves start to turn that pink and curl and look really blotchy. And if you're getting those peach leaf curl signs, what you've got to then do is just start removing the infected leaves as soon as you can. Victorian gardeners actually used to erect their or plant their peach trees against a wall and then they would have glass slots above the peach tree where they would slide in glass over the winter in order to stop this rain landing on the leaves. And that's uh, something you could do is erect something over your tree to stop it from happening. Now again, like blight, there are no fungicides available for amateur gardeners to stop or control peach leaf cull. Now my other one that I always get, and I haven't had it this year actually, is leek rust. Now this is another common fungal disease that affects leek and garlic. But it can also affect onions and chives, and it's again this fungal spores that result in these bright orange and it does look like rust on the leaves it's really um really quite eye-opening when you see it now if you leave that rust to develop and don't take any action it will start to turn those leaves yellow and then if you're growing something like garlic the garlic cannot photosynthesize and therefore it doesn't tend to grow into any bigger bulbs now in order to try and stop this what we have to do it's infection is worse on nitrogen rich soils with low potassium so make sure to add some potassium to your soil allow plenty of ventilation so don't crowd your plants in and that will help um, reduce the humidity and therefore decrease the risk of getting an infection and dispose of all plant debris when it's over with burn them or, or whatever you can do 
Now, again, no chemical control if you wanted to use chemicals for this. It's a case of removing any leaves that you see as soon as you see it and try and keep on top of it. Now, my final fungal infection that I tend to get is downy mildew. Now, this typically affects my courgette plants, which are quite big leaves. And what we end up getting is like this yellow leaves, which develop into like a, a gray or white mold underneath. And then they start to smell really horrible. Now, what I tend to do again, as soon as I see the first signs, I cut off the leaves and get rid of them. But if we were to leave it, again, it will stop that plant from photosynthesizing and therefore kill off the plant and reduce the amount of crops that we're going to get from it. Wet foliage can really cause these diseases. So don't water with a sprinkler is probably a good advice. Make sure you, again, like I said with potatoes and tomatoes, you pop water in the earth around the plant but don't get any on the leaves. That's not so easy when it comes to rain because you can't control that. If you're really that worried by it or you get it so much, you can grow it in a polytunnel. That can work, but I prefer courgettes outside. I know I will get it, but I usually get it quite late on in the season that I've had enough from it. But it doesn't just affect courgettes or any squash plants. It can also affect lettuce, onions, peas, spinach. So what you've got to make sure you do, keep the soil moist around your courgette plants in order to prevent powdery mildew or downy mildew uh, and destroy any affected leaves. Now, again, with mildew, there's no real way of treating mildew here in the UK anymore. It's been banned. I have heard people say that they've sprayed milk on their leaves of their plants, and that's meant to work. I've not tried it myself. I, it may work. It may not. I'll leave that up to you guys. I know that technically I should be able to say it is because it's not a, a correct treatment. So uh, you can do with that information what you like. So that is the four fungal diseases that I typically get every year and how they affect me and what I tend to do. If you get any fungal diseases that I haven't mentioned or you have any methods or tricks that you found work best for you, then please do let me know. Now you can email me richard at vegcrowdpodcast.co.uk. You can visit the website at vegcrowdpodcast.co.uk. You can leave a comment on the bottom of a blog post. You can leave a voicemail just by clicking the voicemail button. You'll access your microphone and just speak into your microphone and talk away. You can do that on your phone or even on a PC. Alternatively, you can find me on social media. Just search for the Veg Grower Podcast and I'm sure to pop up. Well, that is it for this week. We will be back again next time. So until then, please take care and please drink plenty of water in this heat.